I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that joins the resounding sentiment, kiss my cans ass. I'm Liz Winstead, and as always, I'm joined by my beautiful co-host, Moji Alawodeel. Hello. And Marie Khan. Hello, everyone. Coming up on today's show, we are breaking down that big Kansas win, celebrating, but also examining it as a cautionary tale of what we need to do to truly solidify the fundamental right to abortion. Plus, as clinics keep closing faster than the Josh Hawley Capital Sprint, the anti-abortion grifters who run fake clinics are getting millions of our tax dollars to open up Christian pregnancy megaplexes. Still providing no medical care, but now with a cappuccino machine. This story is a blood boiler. Plus, it's his birthday today. It's your birthday. It is my birthday. <laughs> I'm so excited for you, Liz. We made it another year. We did. We made it another trip around the sun as I sit and record this podcast with two of my favorite people and my dog at my feet. It's a good day. It's a, it's good, a good day. It's a good life. <laughs> you have, okay. What are your plans, Liz? What are you doing tonight? Uh, my big plans are I'm going to a Chinese restaurant that has been like an institution in the Twin Cities forever that's about to close. Oh. which is really sad. So I'm getting together with some friends for dinner to do that. And then, um, you know, pool time at my brother's is always part of my birthday strategy. So that's that a nice will pool. Also it's a very happen. Marie and I have been at that pool. Yes, yes you have. <laughs> so that is my plan. But you know what? Enough about me. If there could be. Let's continue with the promos. Also coming up on the show. Have you heard of the Janes? They are a group of young women in Chicago who, before Roe v. Wade, ran an underground network helping folks access abortions. HBO was currently running a must-see documentary about them called The Janes. And Judith Arcana, one of those original Janes, joins us to talk about their work and the parallels and differences of then and now. But before we get to all that, I'm going to do, as always, a quick breakdown of the ever-changing can I or can't I news around abortion access. Let's start with the shit. Well, West Virginia still has a law in the books from the 1830s that bans abortion except where a pregnant person's life is at risk. But a state judge earlier this month blocked it. And and so the West Virginia governor was like, special session because injustice was not being upheld. Uh, So they are now all together and abortions are probably not going to be legal much longer. So we're waiting to find out what kind of shitty legislation they're going to pass in in light of all of this. And it's the worst. Same in Indiana, where, as we talked extensively last week, their garbage ass bill ultimately cleared the state Senate in a 26 to 20 vote and has to go back to the House. And I just want to point out that 
10 Republicans crossed party lines and voted against it, not because it was garbage, because the near total ban didn't go far enough. Yay. Kentucky, sadly, they were they were holding on with some gum and some string and some old tin cups. And finally, the court said, yep, your trash ban can go into effect, rendering abortions in that state, uh, I believe, non-existent. So that's the bad. But oddly, this is a week where there is more good news than bad news. Must be because it's my birthday in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Their city council voted to give $300,000 to uh, the ARC Abortion Fund, which is awesome. And recently they approved a measure instructing the cops to treat violations of the state's abortion law as low as priority. Similar in Austin, Texas, they passed the Grace Act, which also makes enforcing criminal laws the lowest priority for law enforcement. It also decriminalizes abortion by preventing the use of city funds to investigate the procedure. Yay, Pennsylvania. Their Democratic governor sued the state ledge on Thursday over a package of proposed garbage constitutional amendments, one trying to take away the guaranteed right to abortion, just like Kansas, and one that would cut all public funds for abortion. In Michigan, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, but a judge blocks their 1931 abortion ban. Man, they want to go back to the fucking future. It's so creepy. Florida, this is sort of awesome. Seven clergy members. This sounds like the beginning of a bar joke. Two Christians, three Jews, a Unitarian, and a Buddhist walk into a lawsuit. I'm like, I heard this joke and it was racist before. Yeah, right, right. But right now, but right now it's pretty dope. So they all got together and they were like, you know what? This bullshit abortion ban in Florida violates our religious freedom and we are filing a suit together. So we'll see how that goes, which is very exciting. And the Department of Justice takes its first lawsuit on suing Idaho over Idaho's, you know, it's just, I don't know how far people, it, it's like the erections you must get from just being hateful are, must, must be really, really tremendous because Idaho, we had to literally have the federal government finally suing because they were literally not allowing doctors to give patients life-saving medical treatment when they, when they needed abortion. So finally, the nation is stepping in and and then Joe Biden said abortion out loud this week and signed an executive order aimed at helping patients travel for abortions. I have no idea how this works. Every time there's Joe Biden says, I'm here to help. I said I would. I've never understood how it's going to help. I don't know how you can actually help fund abortion and help people travel for abortion when we have the Hyde Amendment in place. It, none of it makes sense. But Joe Biden, he's trying. Joe Biden's trying this week. Um, and Kansas, which we will get to in depth, is also really just like good, crazy. We need to talk about it. So that's some good stuff. And as always, the links to every single story will be in our show notes. And we always want to remind you that the best and most important up to the minute resource on accessing abortion where you are, 
or the closest place to you is INeedAnA.org. So if you're looking for funding, you're looking for the closest place to access care, INeedAnA.org is your resource. But I have to say, you talked about my birthday and the best news that is happening on my birthday today. Do you all know what I'm going to talk about? Do you know what I'm going to say? Exactly what you're going to talk about. I'm very excited for you to talk about it. So excited. So if you follow Abortion Access Front, you know that we, since our inception, have been following around anti-abortion extremists to where they hold their church services, their national conventions, their conferences, because we want to give them a taste of their own medicine where they live. And we do it with uh, a cohort of other activists who are really dope. And this year they gathered in Nashville last week and through the diligence of our work on the ground, capturing their every move, following them to clinics, videotaping them breaking the law, and then videotaping them talk about how they were going to break the law at their like evening planning sessions. We were able to <laughs> I like gather- to call them hate paloozas but sure, Liz. I off. mean, you know, their planning <laughs> sessions, they plan, they scheme, they also just like like to just talk about their manhood a lot. But because we compiled photographs and videos of all of their garbage and them breaking the law, they were served a restraining order and they could not and cannot invade or go on the property of one of the clinics in Tennessee. And the great part is today they have to go to court on my birthday. So <laughs> Operation Save America is in court on my birthday and possibly facing federal charges because of their shit, because of the work of Abortion Access Front and the Jezebel Rebellion and all of the coalition members that were diligently capturing stuff. And I'm so excited. And it's like they were all bragging online holding up their envelopes being like, I can't think of a better group of guys to go to prison with. And it's like, so we doctored up a really nice birthday card for uh, for (laughs) Which you can find on the AAF uh, Twitter, I believe. You can. It is pretty funny. I saw it. I took it. There was a spit take when I saw it. I mean, it was really great. And it just makes me endlessly happy because they have tortured us. They have tortured me. Their leader of Operation Save America challenged me to a debate, a public debate. I was like, why would I honor you with my knowledge and validate anything you have to say? I would never. And he was so freaked out and he had mustard on his shirt the whole time. It was a mess. Anyway, so that is happy birthday to me. That is my greatest gift. Unless, of course, you want to make a donation or join our Patreon. That would be an even better gift to keep mm-hmm. this activist train going. But until then, let's get to our big stories. Oh, my God. Everybody heard the news. The state of Kansas has literally freaked everybody out in the nation by overwhelmingly, by a 19-point margin, voted to say, you can take your fucking stupid ass trying to take away our abortion rights in Kansas and shove it where the sun don't shine. And everything I've read, everything I've I've heard even from the activists who planned and were organizing around this said that they had hoped that this sort of libertarian streak that Kansas had would show up at the polls, but people showed up in record numbers and those record numbers in every single county 
the the vote no, which is vote no on taking away our rights amendment, performed better in than they expected in every single county. So it's really exciting, but it doesn't come without having larger conversations about what this means. We can be excited, but also it's very weird to be coming at this from a strategy of we have to put our rights on the ballot that already is a setback. Yeah. Right. And we're behind already. Yep. Yes. And then watching how people in like counties that voted like 88% for Trump, you know, 20% of those people voted to keep abortion in their constitution but still voted for Republican candidate or a conservative candidate that voted and will continue to vote for these bans. It's almost like they don't know where these bans come from. It's almost like they're like, oh, I wonder who's putting forth these bans. I'm just going to vote against bans, but I'm totally going to empower the person who's writing the bans because mm-hmm. I'm paying no attention. Well, also, it shows your privilege, right? It says I'm for freedom and think people should have abortions, but I know I'll be able to get one someplace. So I'm going to vote for the person who's going to lower my taxes or whatever they believe a Republican attribute is that they want. And so for me, that's immediately a red flag. And and also, Moji, I think you're right also. I think that's where the work has to be done, right? We cannot secure abortion access for real until we change the hearts and minds of people to fundamentally understand to their core that this is a right that needs to be solidified for everybody who needs it. And until we get to that point, that means saying abortion, mm-hmm. right? It, it's a lot. Also, again, and I think you you brought this up, but I just, I feel like there's not too fine a point on it. Like if we have to vote on fundamental rights of bodily autonomy, we've We've already lost. We're clawing ourselves up from the mud, right? Like this is a victory. Absolutely. We can't call anything else. If it was gone the other way, it would be devastating. And then it's also like AAF and Mac and the people we're in coalition with have been yelling about stuff like this for years, decades. And it's like, oh, now that the Dobbs decision has happened and you're seeing what happens in states around you, people are like, oh, wow, this is a problem. Like, can you listen to people before it becomes... (laughs) becomes a problem this bad, right? Like it's been bad. We know it's been bad for people of color. We know it's been bad. The the state of access in many states around this country has been distressing, but like people have to see absolute bans to sort of mobilize around this, to care enough to show up in a midterm to talk about it. It's really distressing. Yeah. And I feel like when I look at the totality of it, and I saw on the news the other night, one of the ads they created for this and it was an ad about uh the the government shouldn't have con- have control over your freedom and your liberty and it could have been a trumpy kind of ad and then the conversation went around saying um oh maybe the way to win this is to not ever talk about abortion and let's not mention abortion and it's like if we if we go back into that rabbit hole of not mentioning abortion We're going to constantly be begging for rights. We're going to constantly be dancing around an issue. And part of the solidifying bodily autonomy for real and for always is to recenter the conversation about abortion 
and claiming the moral high ground on it again. Yes. And the narrative and yeah, and abortion, not just pro-choice, not just these other euphemisms that don't actually mean anything at the end of the day. Because again, the rights have been taken away. Yep. Yeah. And ever since Roe came down, there was a tentativeness, the way it was argued. Privacy is a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. You know, fundamental human rights is not. And so I I was thinking about Roe and I was thinking about how living in New York and back in the bad old days in the 1970s, a lot of neighborhoods got really long 40 year, 45 year leases on their restaurants and their cool vintage stores and record shops. And they were like, oh, cool. I got this 40 year lease. Amazing. That's forever. And nobody stayed on top of laws about developers. Nobody paid attention to the encroachment. Nobody paid attention to what gentrification would look like and and work towards like city and state laws to make sure that small businesses would be protected and renters and people were would be protected. And then what happened, those leases ran out and everybody was smacked in the face and all of those restaurants and 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 record stores and vintage stores all closed because we didn't pay attention because we thought we had a some a lock on something. And it feels like that with our rights where right where it's like Roe v. Wade happened and the activists stayed in the game. And then the people who were like, well, we have Roe v. Wade now just sort of disappeared. And unless people are in this fight for real, always, you cannot expect that this small group of activists, many of whom spend their time 24-7, 365, raising funds to get people to their care or get people care, they can't be doing everything else, you know? Yeah. And I, and so like when I was listening to the coverage of Kansas and listening again to the people who need to take several seats who are democratic operatives and strategists and people who haven't been immersed in the movement, they need to just listen to understand. They keep saying things like, isn't it great that these women turned out and did all this and women did this and women did that. And it's like, why are the people who are oppressed by these laws the only ones out there fighting? You should be ashamed that this happened. And you, if you are a human being who says you're for human rights, if you weren't out fighting for this, if you didn't understand, if you made a choice to not understand what the profundity of these things are, and now we're in panic mode. Yep. And, not, and and just listening to on NPR, and I highly recommend you listen, we'll throw the link in the show notes, um, the editor-in-chief of the Kansas City Star was just talking. And he's like, you know, this Republican lock that they have in their legislature, they're going to go right back in in January and reintroduce this again. And Judges, Moji, I know you know, like, isn't there like a lot of judges who are up for yeah, re-election? I think so. The One of the reasons that this this refer- referendum happened is because in 2019, there was a legal challenge to the Constitution that essentially um, the te- the five judges in the Kansas Supreme Court were like, um, or maybe four of the five judges in the Supreme Court, I actually don't remember the exact breakdown, but essentially the majority of the judges in the Kansas Supreme Court said, oh, the Kansas Constitution, in fact, does um, guarantee the right to bodily autonomy. And so 
you know, we know about anti-choices. If they're nothing else, they're tenacious. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, oh, it's only been two years. And then Dobbs happened and they were like, well, let's do this and let's do it in the in an off election and let's do it when everyone's on vacation and let's make really confusing uh, language. And then, you know, fortunately, everyone's fired up because of Dobbs. And so people are paying attention in the way that normally would. But four of these five judges are up to be either reelected or recertified. And it's happening, I think, in November. So like, you know, anti-choicers, they're tenacious. They probably have already started a plan and a war chest to oust these judges and put in extremists similar to the six we have on the Supreme Court. So we have to stay vigilant. And I do hope that, that you know, again, Kansas was a victory. Uh, and I think we do have to like stay tenacious. We can't get complacent. I'm also seeing punditry being like, and this is now like how the midterms will go. And I'm like, oh, we can at least acknowledge that like maybe pundits don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, 100% for real. It, 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 and, and I know we have, we have many stories, so we'll button this one out, but it's just... Patriarchy doesn't take a holiday. I say it all the time, but it's 24-7. And even if we were to be tenacious and went door to door and had heart-to-heart meetings and and got every single person who believed that abortion is a human right and a constitutional right to agree to that, there is still millions and millions of people who will work 24-7 who believe and will fight to their dying breath to end access to birth control and contraception. And those people are never going away and they work quietly and loudly. So that shit needs to be going away and far and far. So that is that. So moving on to the state of Michigan, because Michigan has had a neck snapping trash heap of a week. Marie, what the hell? Yes. So in keeping with my ongoing devotion to the Midwest, this week I've been watching Michigan very closely. The Mitten State has 26 public-facing abortion clinics, but also ambiguously seems to be under a 1931 abortion law, a law that not only criminalizes and penalizes abortion, but also miscarriage procurement, which I really think sums up in general what people understand about pregnancy and the, the lengths that people need to go to get abortion care. But These clinics have been able to remain open and abortion is still legal in Michigan because before this truly geriatric law could become active, when Roe fell, an injunction got put in place by a judge. And this injunction allowed for more public discussion and actual state-led consensus around abortion access. Now you're asking, all right, what what has changed? Local anti-abortion panty sniffers and county prosecutors have wanted to use this law from the 1930s to be reactivated. They want to be able to go after clinics and abortion seekers. And on Monday, they thought they got their wish because a Michigan appeals court said, oh, county prosecutors, you're not limited by this injunction. But in a lovely twist of justice, also on Monday, a local county judge said nope and issued a temporary restraining order against their own state-level county prosecutors. So that, my friends, is how and why abortion has managed to stay legal in Michigan. This was like a whiplash week for me. Like, I feel like it, it was like- jerk. You like, look, you just laid it out really quickly, but I feel like it happened like in two, two or three days. It was like one minute, abortion's legal, not in some counties. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, providers we know were like, we're moving everyone to this other county. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it, Monday was wild. We wild. were talking to our Michigan provider friends who were literally shuffling 
patients around and getting them from one county to another county because now abortion's legal in separate counties. Yeah. Like it was wild. And so it's yeah. like door to door access. You know what I mean? Like, oh, abortion access is literally done door to door. I don't know what's your zip code. Okay, there. Yep. Right. But like across the street, no, sorry. <laughs> well, and you know, they're waiting for the Supreme Court and and Michigan also has a their state Supreme Court um to weigh in on I think they're doing it next week. Yeah. Um, but they also have a ballot initiative to get rid of this shit ass law. And the good news is they had to get 450,000 signatures. They got 750,000. So right now they are checking the validity and I'm sure that there's 450,000 valid signatures. But It'd like, be really funny if they found like, oh, half of these are invalid. Mm-hmm. Half. I know. Oh, well, there's still enough. Half could be invalid and it's still enough. It's still enough. So uh, it's very, so that will go on their ballot in November. And yet again, we're on the ballot for our rights. It's wild. And also I firmly believe that if you want to fucking live in 1931, or 1830, or whatever the fucking year you want to keep these laws on the books, then you should have to do everything that you can only live in those worlds. That's it. It's like this old house. You just have to live in 1931. (laughs) You can't enjoy anything that happened after that. Just Uh, live it. Churn your butter, get an icebox, drive a DeSoto, don't get on the internet, die in a fire. Yeah. I need to not see you on Twitter if I... If uh, 1930 is your is your goal year, I need to <laughs> yeah. not see you on Twitter. I know it's true. So, I mean, that's good news. Uh, Marie, thank you for that. But also, Marie, that's not even the only thing that happened in Michigan this week. Yes, th- this is really fucked up. It didn't make a lot of headlines. So during all of this, there was a fire at a clinic on Sunday, Kalamazoo, Michigan, their Planned Parenthood. It was targeted brazen, broad daylight by an arsonist. Thankfully, folks will arrive to put the fire out really fast and it was extinguished and there was only a little bit of roof damage. No one was physically harmed. But I mean, that's that's unfortunate. That's like it's fucked up. It's a regular occurrence now we're seeing. But also, no. Was there any mention from either the right who the, you know, no, no, terrorism did not thoughts and prayers. The Kalamazoo Planned Parenthood. Nope. No. Maybe even Biden, who was like, did Biden speak out against it? Uh-uh. Nope. I mean, and this is what happens. The vandalism and the harm that goes to abortion clinics constantly never gets checked. And like, if you didn't know that story, we put it in the our show notes. But like, this is the thing. It's we we are it's stacked against us. And next week we're going to be talking about why it's stacked against us in the 19 in the 1996 Telecommunications Act and how that has to do with abortion. And this is the kind of shit that like is really scary when you have a media that can gobble up other things. The stories that they want to tell are the stories they want to tell. And for none 20 of those minutes are ours. For 20 minutes, we had to hear about literally any uh any fake clinic that got any sort of like mm-hmm. script based graffiti. <laughs> yes. But you can, uh, you know, whatever you can just do arson on a, on a clinic and nobody wants right. to talk about it. Right. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's a mess. I know it's really just like, it's just wild. It, and it, it's just, that's, that's where we're at, you know, but, and, and also, you know, one of the things that we will be continuing to talk about is what are their plans? It's like the the volleying back and forth of which state has access, which state isn't, is just this ongoing nightmare. 
but what are the bigger plans? And Moji, you have discovered some of their bigger plans and what they're doing. And it's just all the worst. It's all so terrible. So like, okay, good news. So abortion warriors, that's us, I count us, have been rightfully celebrating raising over $2 million to fund abortion because Matt Gates is an asswipe. Can we agree? <laughs> oh, yes. You can get an amen. <laughs> uh, governments, state governments are handing millions of your tax dollars to create um, these sleek anti-abortion shame spas. That's right. Non-medical facilities whose sole purpose is to lie, cheat, or steal people away from abortion options. These state-of-the-art fake clinics are designed specifically to both distract people from finding a real clinic and keep them from finding real care. Uh, one of them that we were reading about in their design includes a man cave so that uh, inseminators can be counseled about marriage while playing pool. Because, you know, it's good to not have focus while you're deciding whether or not you want a parent. To marry, <laughs> right? Like this is this is basically like the idea is like the pregnant person, probably a woman, because these are very Christian places. They don't believe in more than two genders. Oh, yeah. These are queer couples. <laughs> no. These are yeah. not queer. <laughs> queer couples would like smell the harm a mile away. Um, but like, so women are basically somewhere being counseled for being slutty harlots. And then a man is playing pool and being told, marry that they're slutty harlot. Like what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> and this is money. A lot of states have sort of basically earmarked money that could be going to a lot of helpful things. I know in Texas alone, it's like a hundred thousand dollars over the next two years to just, you mean a hundred million? I, I meant a hundred million. That is exactly what I meant. And thank you mm -hmm. for correcting me, Liz, because yeah. I, get, I get dizzy about numbers Yeah, um, to give to these fake clinics, these places that just say, no, you should have that, have that baby. So this is infuriating on its own, but then it turns out that these states that are funding these just say no cappuccino clinics, they don't have any interest in funding programs to help the person who they talk out of their abortion, right? And this is happening around the country. But again, I like to I like to focus on Texas when I can. It's the fuck you state of reproductive rights. <laughs> and they may be the worst. Get this. Texas requires a single mother of two children to make less than $188. That's not a million or a thousand, just 188 a month in order to receive any sort of financial financial help uh, that could be a, some form of welfare. That means if you make $200 a month, and again, we're at 200, Texas is like, oh, you're fine. You can totally take care of those babies on your own. You don't need our help when you're making less than $12,000 a year. Mm. Anyway, this is terrifying. And they're doing this while sitting on, again, in Texas, $280 million in unspent dollars from the federal government that have been specifically earmarked for needy families. And this is not just Texas, right? I focus on Texas because they're just such an easy, huge red target. They're a big state. They, in theory, there's so many people in Texas, right? There's a lot of people that are being harmed in Texas. But other states include Maine and Tennessee and Hawaii, and there's more to the list. And they just have these millions of dollars that the federal government has given them to help families in poverty, and they just don't help families in poverty. But what they will do is give millions of dollars to promote anti-abortion lies in a white Herman Miller chair. You know, it's so offensive to say you can't have welfare and yet they just don't spend that welfare money. And my guess is that 280, that cool 280 mil that they're sitting on 
will eventually go to these fucking cappuccino fake clinics or other programs that are not helpful, right? Like uh, yeah. job, job, job education programs, right? So you just pay people to teach people work. I mean, people know how to work when they can work, right? People don't work usually because they are caring for children or, or have injuries. There's a lot of reasons that people, most people want to work if they can. So like, instead of giving people money, cause that's what people need to live. You just want to give money. I'm sorry. This is my rant. I'm getting off subject. <laughs> fucking ridiculous then also texas and other states allow these stupid fucking concepts that like seem straight out of a 1950s playbook maternity ranches you remember this story yes yes Yes. oh my god the maternity ranches where you have to basically be an indentured servitude yeah you have to do gardening and take care of the house and be there and and stay pregnant and then it's i don't even understand that and like look to other people who like are married and doing it the christian way and being like that's your model like maybe it's not Yeah, what happens? Also, like these disgusting little caps, like when you really think of how much money $188 is, like that's not rent anywhere in New York. It's nowhere. For three people. That's like, like, that's three actual fucking heartbeats. Y'all care so much about your heartbeat. Like (laughs) that is three alive, living, breathing people that have to show, that to get that poor, that then they can maintain a level of poverty because you can't go above it. There was a story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of a woman in Maine who had four children. She was working uh, for $8 an hour. She got a 50 cents raise and they were like, no state aid for you. Wow. 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 But, like, they'll, build, but they'll build a man cave yeah. oh my or gosh. an inseminator and say, play pool while we talk to you about parenting. <laughs> and you can tune in and out as much as you'd like. Eight ball in any pocket, unload. What am I? I'm a parent. But this is a dope pool table. Like, I am like, honestly, it's just so gross. And it's like the oppression. I am stunned at the level. But also, it kind of goes back to the other, the story of Kansas, right? Where you're like, I don't think people know and make the connections between where their money goes and who votes for these things and what happens and, and how we got here. It's so much educating and it's just so much going backwards. And I think like this is the perfect time to bring in our guests because the going backwards is also the going forwards at this point. And our next guest is somebody who, as we navigate this post-row landscape, is somebody who navigated a pre-row landscape really successfully. And I know she's going to have tons of insights. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about this. Uh, joining us today is Judith Arcana, a writer, performer, and a former member of the Janes, an abortion counseling service of the Chicago Women's Liberation Union. And this was a service that between 1968 and 1973 helped over 11,000 people, including low in- income and people of color, get safe yet <laughs> illegal abortions. Um, In 1972, 11 of the Janes were arrested and they were looking at 110 years of prison each. But fortunately, Roe legalized the right to abortion in 1973 and their charges were subsequently chopped. Volunteers like Judith, who worked in this pre-Roe underground, are featured in an HBO documentary aptly named The Janes, which is now on HBO and streaming on HBO Max. Please welcome Judith Arcana. Welcome, Judith. Thank you for joining us. So we saw the documentary and it is incredible. 
Can you explain a little bit about how the Janes came to be and how you personally got involved? The Janes uh, happened. I'll, I'll do the shortest of the short forms here of the history. The Janes happened because a college student who uh, sought out um, an abortionist for the sister of a friend continued to do that every now and then occasionally for a couple few years after that first time and then found that guess what the demand was great and so she had a little meeting with other local feminists in Chicago and some of them decided that they were going to do abortion care work and started what became known as the service. Uh, the long name is the Abortion Counseling Service of the Chicago Women's Liberation Union. Needless to say, <laughs> that's not a mouth. That's not a mouthful at all. <laughs> no, not, not a problem. Which is why we called it the service or Jane, and it evolved from being that you know find somebody who can do it to learning more about it to counseling and then through a whole series of events, which you may or may not want to talk about on this um, podcast, um, learned how to do medical work as well, et cetera, et cetera. I joined, um, in terms of your question, in October of 1970 and was Janing, as we called it, um, for a couple of years. Uh, my personal life took me away about six months before the service shut down. So are there specifics that I'm leaving out here in terms of your question? No, no. We'll, I think we'll get to all those specifics. So I think we're going to do, we'll probably jump around a bit, but one of the things that I found fascinating was once you were, once the Janes and the service was up and going, y'all were just like, it was illegal, but there was like ads in the alternative paper. <laughs> and like, you were just like, how did it, how did you find the trust or why was it safe to advertise in that way? I was so freaked out by that. Yeah. Well, the, the short version, again, the short form is it was different then. That's my favorite sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, as you all know, the major difference was the atmosphere and knowledge base around abortion health care, which has been deliberately created over the last five plus decades by the anti-abortion movement plugged into the right wing in the United States, which of course brought them a lot more money and prominence, so that a way of thinking about abortion health care and a way of thinking about people who do that work was created and is now prominent in the United States, but it wasn't then. Of course, it was illegal. Everybody knew it was illegal. There were even people who thought it was bad or a sin. They were a very tiny percentage of the general public. And, you know, everybody had remarks about that, like, think it's bad. Okay, don't do it. Don't like abortion. Don't have one. There were even bumper stickers that said stuff like that. The environment in which we worked was not without dangers. We were busted once. and. Who knows what would have happened if the road decision hadn't come down uh, the following year. The bust was in May of 72, um, and Roe, as you know, was end of January 73. And in that time, we, at the seven of us who were busted, and our lawyer were doing what most legal people refer to as 
the stall, you know, having this happen and all with it, she put in motions and blah, blah, blah. It went on for a long time. We could behave that way because even though the punishment had we been had we gone to trial and been found guilty would have been 110 years in jail each, even though that was reality, the the construct, the social, the political construct in which we were working did not promote um, the kinds of thinking that are so unfortunately and frighteningly common in these times. you could do what what Liz just referred to, the ads or the stickers up on telephone poles and stuff like that. If you called the Chicago Women's Liberation Union office and said, um, like a lot of people did, um, I heard that you folks know who might be doing abortions. They'd say, yes, call this number and ask for Jane. Bam, that was it. Which <laughs> <That> is wild. <laughs> it's, it's wilder now, believe me. It was not so crazy then or maybe well, it was when we just never got it I, what can i say <laughs> i mean it's this is so it's amazing and you know it just leads me to also and i think it's hard to talk about the janes in the in the top it, knowing that we know now it's hard to not referential the world we're living in because the world was so different back then but one of the things i also was thinking about with that you know you advertise stickers. Sure, call this number. Um, I would love to just talk, ask a little bit about the trust with each other. You know, how did you develop this trust? Um, it didn't seem like, although, and I love that the documentary was really honest about like, we weren't always the best of friends. We didn't matter. We all had a common goal. So how did you, um, how did you build that trust? And, and, all, and, and was there paranoia that you had to like talk through? I don't think there was ever paranoia. There was certainly disagreement and we didn't very often talk it through because if stuff came up that was heavy duty in the realm that you are talking about, someone would say after no more than five minutes, listen, we've got to deal with the work here. And that's what we would do. That's what we would do. Again, sounds so wild. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, we had a list. There were all these people waiting. We had given them appointments or we were about to give them appointments. It was not a a place or a time. We had a weekly meeting for the the years that the service existed. Every week, once a week, we met. That was when the index cards were passed around, when we would choose, I can do this one. Oh, this one's right near where I live, you know, whatever. Um, And the work was the subject. The work was the reason for being there. Um, other things like our personal relationships um, were certainly not of no interest at all. It just couldn't be done on Jane time. Jane time had to be spent on Jane business. And so that was what we did. People who joined the service and were in for a month, two months, three months, and didn't care for the whole whatever for various reasons, not necessarily, oh, you know, but all kinds of reasons just left. And people who thought this was a good way to spend their time or it was okay not to deal with our personal relationships because what was on the table, the task was what you joined up for. That's, that's who we were. And, you know, one thing I think is so cool about it is, and I love independent providers 
are independent abortion providers are very different than um, larger like Planned Parenthoods in the sense that they just boldly say abortion is 100 percent of what we do because there is such a need for abortion that yeah. we don't have to dance around it. Like, why are we acting like we can do other? What should we be doing? Selling bread? Like, we have to do this because every moment of our day is filled with appointments for people who need abortions. And I think that is that focus and that doing that. It's almost like a barn raising every day. You know, it's like we're here, we're here to raise a barn. <laughs> we're going to do that barn. Shut your pie hole about anything else. It needs to be sturdy and we're doing it. And I love that. That's a great comparison. I love it. I'm going to try to remember it so that I can use it. I'll quote you. I will definitely give you credit. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, When I was watching the documentary, I found there was so much amazing. But when (laughs) the guys, the like the doctors, particularly the one who was a a construction worker, (laughs) like just kind of became an abortion doctor. Sorry, like really pissed me off. And so I love that at a certain point, you guys are like, wait, we can do this. So like, <laughs> that guy can. <laughs> did you ever feel like when, when you, when you transitioned to that, I don't know if you, I don't remember if you did individually, but did you ever feel like, oh my gosh, this is not safe. Like, or like, I should be doing this to people. Like, obviously you had, you guys had very few to no complications. Like what you were doing was, was in fact, a really safe service, but like, how did you get the confidence to do that? Or how would you know that you weren't doing it right? (laughs) Because we learned, I mean, it's not like we just walked in and said, Hey, is this a curette? I'm going to use this. (laughs) That is is definitely not what happened. And that guy that everyone thinks is unusual, um, construction worker. Um, He was a great abortionist. Mm -hmm. He was absolutely in the time that I was involved, the best who was not an MD. I mean, you know, there were docs and definitely some of them were excellent, Um, but he was good. And I remember him teaching me. I remember things I learned from him um, and then learned from others who had begun learning from him even before I began learning from him. Um, So even though he is an unusual character in the movie, he was one hell of an abortionist and he was good to the women that he was working with. He was kind and he was decent I never saw him do anything that made me nervous or angry. I never heard about him doing anything. I'm talking about during an abortion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who knows what he did on his days off, you know? Well, he's a Um, man, so we can only assume. (laughs) You have it right there. He was different from the rest of us. (laughs) Well, Judith, I mean, and and that was something for me in part of the film when it was, you would learn that, you know, people knew they didn't, want to go to this person who was doing illegal abortions because maybe you would have to provide sexual favors or maybe there was these other things, you know, and I think those things people don't think enough about what is involved when you are trying to access abortion or trying to help someone access abortion. When the criminal penalty is 110 years in prison, people can hold a lot over you. Uh, Yes. And um, this is true actually of everything that, you know, once something is illegal, but it's still 
wanted by the population for whatever reason, whether it's booze during prohibition or abortions for the last seven or 8,000 years. And um, if you're doing something that's illegal and you have to go, you know, off the usual route, then you are literally, literally at the mercy of the provider, whether it's of this, that, or an abortion. Mm -hmm. And there had been, I'm going to say millions, because there have been so many abortions done, often without law, because in many parts of the world, abortion has been made illegal in the last 150 to 200 years. So the people who provide, whether they're good at it or not, how do you know someone told you it might be okay? Uh, your girlfriend, your sister-in-law, your mother, if you're lucky, takes you there. And what's going to happen? Very often, people who hold that power behave badly. That was not true of our guy. Um, another good thing about him. I'm so glad that that at least that that was the context that you all were able to create for folks. Like you saw an absence of, you created a healthcare system essentially. And <laughs> we have, there's some organizations out there. I'm with Midwest Access Coalition and you all are like a founding, a founding entity. The Janes were that showed, even though it wasn't referred to as practical support, like you all got that piece that sometimes you need to bring your child along and they need to be watched while you're getting medical care. You made yeah. sure people had rides. You were, you were supporting local folks and like, but I see the parallel so much between what 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 orgs have been founded to do. And at least, you know, while we had Roe, a lot of us could do it legally. Like you, you all are the you were the trailblazers in that. And I'm wondering what are some of the lessons that you've learned while being involved with the Jains that you think today's activists would also be be helpful? Because so much of this we're like we're, we're being forced to circle and cycle back, but 49 years later. Yeah. Plus 49 plus. Let's let's never forget the plus. <laughs> Whatever numbers were. I'm just like the plus is when they got acquitted. <laughs> um, I think that um, well now there are still a number of Janes alive at the moment. As you can hear, I'm one of those. Uh, we're all either old or dead. That's the deal, you know, because it was a long time ago, and. I'm sure that every single one of us would answer this differently. So I don't want to say that I'm speaking for the group, but I am speaking about the group. Um, it's hard to answer because I think the, the circumstances, which we've already talked about, are so different now that I wonder if what I might say as an elder in the world of illegal abortion, um, <laughs> what I might say can in fact be of use. Young women ask me all the time. I tell them whatever I can think of, whatever I remember, whatever I truly believe, but I can't be positive that it's as valuable to them as I want it to be. I'm sure you know what I mean. And I think that for us, here's the part where I say every Jane would say it differently. What happened between me and the people I dealt with who came to the service for abortions was the most important part. How you relate to someone who needs something so desperately that that person is going to break the law and pay money to strangers. Fortunately, we did not charge the outrageous, but you know how common that is. Yeah. And so I think that for me, the answer is the relationship that we could fleetingly 
create between ourselves and the people who came to us for abortion health care was the most important thing because they were you know, they were in fear, they were in anxiety, they even if they had a friend who had been to Jane and they knew that we, they could trust us, whatever, 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 they had such a heavy burden emotionally when they showed up. And of course, when the work was being done. And I think that the way we learned how to behave and the way we learned about people, mostly female, but people with uteruses, are in the world was central. And every now and then, not very often, I can actually only think of one right now, a woman would join the service and she really wouldn't be appropriate. And that we weren't very good at how to deal with it. We did not have a human relations department and we did the best we could. But it, I remember one in particular, she just, she wanted to do the medical work and pretty much everyone knew that would not be a good idea. I can't exactly remember what was said or how it was said. It was the most painful part of that season, shall we say, um, because we didn't know how to do it at the best level. What we were learning how to do as much as we could at the best level was deal with giving abortion health care, giving a woman, whether she was nine weeks or 19 weeks pregnant, what she needed and helping her know how to deal with it and all of that. So tricky business, but the, the, the connection, the connection really up and down the age. I always think of this one, my youngest person, she was 11, her mother brought her, of course, um, and everyone from her to women in their 50s who had been in menopause and, as we used to say in the old days, got caught, meaning she thought it was over and then, surprise, it wasn't yet. Um, all of those decades in between those people, um, that's what I was learning. That's what we were doing. That's what was, for me, central. Yeah, I hope I answered that question. I tend to go off on that one a lot. No, that's a great, that's it was such great. a beautiful answer. <laughs> this conversation is endless. And Judith, you and I have had the good fortune of having lunch and talking and hearing the stories. And hopefully you'll come back so that we can really just keep talking because you continue your work and um, you're just an incredible person. And thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for those good words. I happen to think you guys are pretty incredible too. It's pretty wonderful what you're doing. So thanks a lot. Uh, thank you so much, Judith Arcana, for joining us today. Make sure to watch The Janes on HBO and learn more about Judith and her work at juditharcana.com. Okay, it's time for Six Degrees of Abortion, the podcast game taking the abortion podcast landscape by storm. Moji and I choose a new story from the week, seemingly unrelated to abortion, and Liz has six tries to try to make that abortion connection because isn't bodily autonomy truly connected to every issue? This week- Yes, Mo it is. <laughs> this week, Moji, I really, I really love the story you find because if I had a child, I would want them like this. Oh my gosh, I know. I like have a child and I'm like, oh, how can I make this work? So this is uh, about a week or so in Albert Albertville, Alabama. There was a woman in a car and she looked and she saw <laughs> a life-size kid dressed up as Chucky. <laughs> 
from child's pain. Freak the fuck out. <laughs> and you have to see the pictures. They're really hilarious. Cause yeah, it's just like a, you know, a kid, a five-year-old dressed up as Chucky, but like a really good costume and just walking around this Alabama neighborhood. So we would like you, Liz, in uh, Six Degrees or Less to link Chucky, the movie or the character to abortion. Well, um, easy. It was Marie Kahn who, when SB8 dropped, the Texas bill, the bounty hunting bill a year ago last September dropped, one of the co-sponsors of that bill is a Texas legislator named Briscoe Kane. <laughs> and Briscoe Kane is a monster. And Marie dubbed him the fun size Chucky doll. <laughs> Un- unfun size. <laughs> unfun size Chucky doll. And no shame to Chris Hayes, but he does look like a mini me of Chris Hayes. Like if Chris Hayes had an evil miniature doppelganger, it's Briscoe Kane. So since Briscoe Kane was the author of the abortion bounty law uh, and Marie Kahn, my co-host and friend uh, dubbed him the fun size Chucky doll. I believe I did it in two. Boom. I, feel, I feel like I'm willing works. to take that. That's I'm willing fair. to take that. Yeah, I'm accepting what do you that. Mean you're willing to take that. Like, <laughs> we don't, like, the, we like don't you have cat hair to... <laughs> Why would you need any kind of intervention whatsoever? <laughs> Are you fucking the Arizona Secretary of State? Are you gonna call in? You know, I I think that I'm gonna check these votes again. We're gonna have to get some different electors on this. I'm unclear that Liz made a direct connection. It's well my done. birthday. And even if I was far <laughs> off, you could have fucking given it to me. But no. But no. Let's transition out before I have more rage than I absolutely need to dig up for the two of you. So let's transition. Uh, it's time to hear about this week's sponsor, a new and delicious way to impose your unsolicited opinions on someone considering abortion. Indeed, Liz. As you know, one in four people who can will have an abortion in their lifetime. That means it's pretty much guaranteed that someone you know is considering having an abortion right now. If you're looking for that perfect gift to insert your opinion about their choices, Fruit of the Womb Edible Arrangements is the ticket. It's the perfect gift to send to anyone you object to having an abortion. Each Fruit of the Womb Edible Arrangement is a hollowed out papaya stuffed with an apple carved into a fetus. It is a delicious symbol that says, be fruitful and multiply instead of becoming a baby killing whore. So send a Fruit of the Womb edible arrangement to your favorite harlot today using the promo code STRANGEFRUIT. Bonus, if you order now, we'll throw in an embryo-shaped balloon that says, mommy, when you press its umbilical cord. Fruit of the Womb edible arrangements, we remove the seeds so they won't have to. Guys, and it's vegan. And it's vegan. <laughs> you know, that was a missed opportunity for the Fruit of the Loom Edible Arrangements Company to yeah. not. It's also caffeine free. 
Oh my gosh. Oh. Unlike last week's um, <laughs> sponsor. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, you know, shellfish free, unless we don't, we don't know something about their facilities. I know, but that is very exciting. And also that is our show. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much to Judith Arcana for joining us today. Make sure to watch The Janes on HBO and learn more about Judith and her writing at www.juditharcana.com. Thank you so much for listening. We want to be a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some really hard times ahead. We are in this together. We gotcha. So a few action items. If you missed Operation Save Abortion, don't worry. You can watch all of the sessions, access the activity guide, and sign up for upcoming trainings at operationsaveabortion.com. Plus, we are dropping it as a five-part pod series right here on August 26th. You can access the activity guide in the show notes of each episode. That's right. Also, you want to support this fantastic podcast write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you're helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access and what they can do to fix it. To keep up with all the latest repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And Facebook Live is edited by Remy DuTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Appearance alerts. AAF is tabling and speaking at Riot Girl Fest at Elsewhere Brooklyn on August 10th. Doors open at 8 p.m. and you can buy tickets at elsewherebrooklyn.com. Marie, you might be tabling, right? Maybe. Maybe Marie is going to be there. It might be a Marie opportunity. I'm a sucker for for a free ticket. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, come out. It's in the evening. Like, look at me. Yeah, this is my after hours. (laughs) (laughs) Marie after dark. (laughs) and you can catch fbk live from netroots nation august 18th to the 20th if you're going to come see netroots in pittsburgh come see us do the show live and visit our booth you can get details and schedules as well as sign up to attend virtually at netrootsnation.com next week guests comedian activists and Overall badass, Margaret Cho will join us. Also, Karishma Oza, Director of Patient Services at the DuPont Clinic in Washington, D.C., which is one of the few clinics in the country providing all trimester abortion care, will also be here with us chatting about things. That's a good show. Plus, we have a plug. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. So maybe on my birthday, you can give the gift of supporting our work. That's right. Join our Patreon for my birthday and you'll support great content and you get cool, exclusive FBK merch and experiences. The only way to get, and we have cool shirts and and mugs and all this stuff. Like the only way to get the FBK merch is to join our Patreon. So, and if you join our Patreon at a higher level, you can have experiences. Marie after dark, maybe one of them. (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Marie After Dark over Zoom. That's right. (laughs) Marie After Dark over Zoom. That sounds very sexy. Um, All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. So, you know, Roe is a crispy heaping pile of nothing. So together we can resurrect it from the ashes. So pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. And we leave you with a man 
who shows his whole ass to everyone except women because they just may not be capable of understanding its greatness. Why are we letting women teach us? Why are we letting women lead us? You know, the Republican Party seems doomed to me because while we're kicking on the Democrats, let's kick on the Republicans for a minute. Most of the recent candidates are women. And I'm thinking like, okay, Joe Biden bad. A woman politician replacing him, not better. You know, you kind of like people are thinking like, I hope Joe Biden dies and it's like, Kamala. You don't even know what the next Pharaoh's like. This Pharaoh could be worse. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. I'm Allison Gill. That's A.G. from Muller She Wrote in the Daily Beans, the premier podcaster for all things special counsel. And I'm Andrew McCabe, former acting director of the FBI and unlucky guy who was right in the middle of getting Robert Mueller appointed special counsel in 2017. And we're joining forces to document the investigations of Trump by the newly appointed special counsel Jack Smith as it happens. Whether it's analyzing court filings, letters, indictments, or prosecution and defense strategies. Or asking questions about special counsel regulations, rules governing classified documents at trial, or the scope of the probes. We'll be here first thing Sunday mornings to cover the latest breaking special counsel news and answer your questions with the assistance of some of the best experts out there. So follow, rate, and subscribe to Jack wherever you get your podcasts. Your only source for all things special counsel. 